Hello and welcome to God's Word During Exile. This is a podcast in which a group of pastors get together. We study God's Word and uh, we're excited to be here today as we continue to almost see the finish line in sight. Oh, Matt, I thought you got raptured. (laughs) Apparently it was a false alarm. (laughs) Does that Um, that make Matt one of the false Christs that Jesus talks about in Matthew 24? Um, if he was fake raptured, <laughs> well, why don't you post that in the comments? Yeah, what do you post think? in the comments? Ah, false Christ, you is tell that, us. Is that one comments. of the hallmarks of the false Christ, false rapture? <laughs> <laughs> I think there's a good ch- a case could be made. Yeah. So <laughs> we're gonna try to finish today. Maybe not. Uh, if we finish. We have an exciting episode that we're looking forward to on the 26th, which is the end of the month. Uh, We are having all of our previous guests back on the show, and they're going to share a couple final thoughts about the book of Revelation and whatnot, and we're really excited to have them all on. But in the meantime, if we happen to finish this before the 26th, we're going to give you a little teaser of where we're going to go in September when we come back to start uh, a new Bible study. And so uh, we're going to, did we announce that already last week? Because then we're not going to tell you where we're going to go. <laughs> if we announced it already, then it's old news. But if we didn't, just be prepared. We have some exciting stuff that we're going to do uh, into our next study. So Mike's over here and Matt's over here and Ben is down here and we are ready to party. So now here's the real question. Matt was going to open in prayer, but then Mike, you switched him because Matt was gone. So now are we pulling the switcheroo and going back and is Matt opening in prayer or, or is now Ben opening in prayer because it's neither of you? Let's all just pray at the same time. How about we roll for initiative? Okay. Uh, I don't. I don't have any dice with me. Oh, okay. Just have Matt do it. I'll just pray. <laughs> all right, Lord, we thank you for gathering us together today, and each day that uh, you give us life and breath is is uh, really a privilege, and we thank you for it and. Uh, we also know that your mercies are new for us again today and we need it every single day. And so we thank you Lord for that. And we pray that as we dig into your word, that you would open our eyes to see the truth, to see our savior, Jesus, to see what you have done for us and how much you love us. And uh, what an exciting thing it is to be coming near the end of the book of revelation. And to remember again, that promise that we began with that from the beginning of revelation that everyone who reads the words of these books will be blessed. And so we trust that that will be true because you said so. And so be at work in us, Lord, in Jesus name. Amen. All right. We left off in uh, verse 12 last week. So Ben, if you'd be willing, can you read from 12 to the end of uh, the chapter of revelation 22, please? Yeah. Revelation 22. Uh, 12 through 21. Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right 
to the tree of life, and that they may enter the city by the gates. Outside are the dogs and sorcerers and the sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. The spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires to take the water of life. Oh, sorry. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. He who testifies to these things says, surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. Amen. Here ends the reading. Thanks be to God. How? Uh, Gold star. Gold star. <laughs> I didn't bring them in. I was actually given, maybe I said this before, but I was actually given a roll of gold stars to give away during my adult Sunday school class by one of the teachers that attends. It was pretty exciting. You're going to need to go buy some black ones because Ben tried handing one of those out last week. <laughs> I, can, I can arrange some black stars. <laughs> I, I don't think we talked about this last week. I know we talked about verse 12, but how excellent of a word is recompense? We don't use that enough in daily mm. life, do we? I don't think so. Anybody got a good definition? Well, I don't know about you, you guys, but... Well, I mean, <laughs> since you use it so often, give, give us some of the idea of the meaning of recompense. Give us some of the depths of what that word means. Oh, I don't know the depths of it, but I, the basic idea is, you know, he's coming with, with judgment, you know, kind of explains it a little bit. Further in that verse, you know, your the recompense is kind of the, you know, you're getting what you, what you justly deserve, right? So, um, I don't have a dictionary definition of it. Sorry. Here, I got um, one. Here we go. Oh, I got yeah. one. All right. So, recompense can be used as a verb. When it is, it means to make amends to someone for loss or harm suffered, otherwise known as compensating. But Recompense is also a noun, and it says uh, compensation or reward given for loss or harm suffered or effort made. So, so, um, so in this verse, it's the noun form. So, yeah, that idea of you know reward or. Um, getting what you, what you deserve, whether good or bad. Um, right. Cause that's kind of what, uh, again, that's how he explains it in the verse three, pay each one for what he has done. So maybe we should talk about that too. And Athanasian creed uses similar language, right? The, you know, talking about, you know, receiving judgment based on, the, on your works. What's the Athanasian creed, Ben? Cause maybe that's new to some of our listeners. Um, I guarantee if the name Athanasian Creed isn't new to people, the content of it probably is for a lot of folks. Because it just, just because it's so long, it's not, even if we confess the Creed in our churches on Sunday mornings, um, that's not one that gets confessed very often just because of the length of it. Yeah, it's the longest of what we call the 
the ecumenical or universal or Catholic small c uh, creeds along with the apostles in the Nicene. Uh, it's named for Athanasius because it confesses uh, a lot of the theology of Athanasius, but likely wasn't written by him. Uh, the Latin name is what? Quicunque vault, I think, which means whosoever wills, that's how it starts. Uh, so anyways, uh, it really goes into, it's probably the best succinct statement in regard to the doctrine of the Trinity. Hmm. So it goes through, you know, what's the same about Father, Son, Holy Spirit, how they differ, um, all the while confessing one God, you know, three persons. And then the second part of the Athanasian Creed uh, goes into some detail about the person and work of Christ uh, for redemption. And and maybe one of the things that's kind of uh, maybe surprising to people when they first encounter the Athanasian Creed is it comes out very bluntly and says, you know, whoever wants to be saved, they must confess the Catholic faith, the Ansmosi Universal. And then it lays out what that is. And so it's very blunt. You know, if you don't confess this, you are outside the church. Um, and so, but at the end of the Athanasian Creed, it contains a statement very similar to uh, some of Jesus' statements in the in the Gospels about, you know, those who have done well will be raised to everlasting life. Those who have not done well, you know, uh, will be raised to judgment and kind of talks in terms of repaying according to deeds that are done. And so um, sometimes that causes confusion because they say, oh, wait, don't we confess that we are saved by grace alone apart from works. So what's this business of uh, this language of deeds and, and uh, judgment on account of deeds? So we want to talk about that. Huh? What do you got? What do I got? I, I was, no. So what I was doing is because you said it was a succinct accounting uh, I was I was looking up the text of the Athanasian Creed to give you an idea of what succinct is, and it's about 600 words long in English. So it is it is a short statement, but when you consider what what the Apostles' Creed is and its length, which is probably what 100 maybe words, you know it, it's it's much much longer, much much deeper. It's much richer. So if you've never if you've never read it, like it's it's well worth your time to go and check out the. Athanasian Creed and spend a little time in it and talk to your pastor about it. Yeah, we've been just, it's too long to read every Sunday probably, uh, but uh, at, during the worship service, but uh, we have been reading it on Trinity Sunday just to make sure that we read it at least once a year as a church. That's at, at least that's what we've been doing here recently. Um, but uh, I know other churches do something similar just to keep it before the church, at least occasionally. Um, but it is really great um, and pretty thorough for a succinct statement it is pretty thorough in how it examines these issues. But this statement is pretty interesting, isn't it? That um, he's bringing his recompense with him to repay everyone for what he has done. And I don't know what you guys think about this, but it seems like, you know, we are usually talking about how we are not getting 
the payment for what we've actually done because we've all sinned, right? Um, and uh, so you're you're looking at four sinful guys here, and uh, and everybody else that's listening is also sinful, and yet some of us are saying that we are going to receive a reward but that's not what we deserve. So how is this, how does this work that we are actually getting paid for what we've done or um, we are going to get the penalty for the offense that we've caused um, with all of this? So how, so how? Take it away, Natal. But yeah. I don't know. Can you get another gold star, Mike? Oh, man. <laughs> So what if it's not the things that we do, but the things that Christ has done for us, and through faith, we receive those things? So it is as if God is seeing Christ. I think there's like, there's something to do with baptism in there too, where like, if you're baptized into Christ, you have been clothed in Christ. So it's like, Almost moment. like you were buried yeah. with him and his death oh. and raised with him in his resurrection. I heard that too. Yeah. Life. Romans six, I think talks about that. Yeah. And it's all that good stuff. So like, even though we're looking at four sinful dudes, let me, let me just preface this too. Four good looking sinful dudes. <laughs> all right. And so if God looks at us apart from Christ, he'd be like, hell, However, because, <laughs> thanks, Ben. <laughs> However, because of Christ and what he accomplished on the cross and at the empty tomb, he looks at us and instead of being like, hell, he says, I see Jesus. So come on in and let's party in heaven. Yeah, that sounds like a quote from Revelation, actually. Come on in and let's party in heaven. <laughs> Why not? Hey, uh, w, I think you lost your microphone, but you don't show that you're muted, but we're not hearing anything when you talk. Oh, you, oh. Am I back? Yep, you're, you're back. back. So, yeah, I don't know what translation that was from there, Natal, but that was that was great. That's the, the NIV. <laughs> the the Natal, Natal International Version. International Version. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah so we we do recognize that um that good works do play a role on the day of judgment um but not not in terms of where you finally end up um but they are evidentiary so they're evidence right so um it's the same kind of thing that james will talk about you know, the relationship between faith and works, right? So if you have faith, but you don't have the good works that bear witness to that faith, then there's good reason to question whether that faith is is real, right? And so uh, that's, <clears throat> excuse me, that's the role that, that works play because our faith or our unbelief is made visible by what we do, right? And so... Again, we don't want to hear this as, well, so I better be really good then so that I get, you know, into heaven or that I get better, a better heaven than other people. My mansion is going to be bigger than your mansion. 
<laughs> um, but we recognize that that again, the works are evidence of faith or unbelief, and we recognize that that in Christ, as as Mike Natal is talking about, uh, for the one who has faith in Christ, the one who is in Christ, their works are received by God as good because of Christ, and and whatever is not good or falls short is forgiven. And that's kind of the, the language that our confessions use in that way too. And so it's not, it's not that we are the, the source in ourselves of the good works or like we, you know, we just did such a good job that, that God rewards us, you know, cause we did, we did such good effort, but in, in essence, you know, we could say there is a sense in which God is rewarding uh, his own work because faith is God's work. Um, and, and that which comes from faith, good works is also his work. I mean, this is why Luther speaks of faith as the, how does he talk about the, the work of all works. So not that it's a, a work that we do, but it is the work of God in us by which everything else becomes good. And so there is a sense in which, you know, God is rewarding his own work, right? It's not that we aren't participating in that. And, you know, insofar as we have been redeemed and we are the new creature uh, in Christ, we do participate, but we are weak in our participation and we fall short. And so our comfort in that is that, you know, God counts our, our good works as good. He receives them as good even though in themselves they're incomplete and, and they're only a beginning. He receives them as good because of Christ and whatever isn't good is forgiven. And so when we stand before God on judgment day for the one who is in Christ, there's nothing to, there's nothing to judge in terms of wrath. There's, there's no evil there to, um, to punish because it has been forgiven because Christ has taken that on himself um, whereas to stand before God apart from Christ in unbelief is to bear all of your own works and sins before God. And that is not a good place to be in because they're, they're not going to stand for a second. And so, um, so that's hopefully that makes some, some sense of what's going on. So the, the works are really the evidence of faith or unbelief. And so, and again, that's how, that's how the faith or unbelief, which is in itself invisible to us, uh, is made visible, is by what we what we do. Does that make some sense? It does. Mm -hmm. And that actually, um, you know, what my sinful nature likes to do when it when it hears that sort of thing is that good works are evidence of uh, of your faith or or of you know, not good works would be evidence of your unbelief. What my sinful nature likes to do is grab hold of that and take a look at my life and try and figure out if I'm actually a Christian by how many good things I've done and make lists and compare the good to the bad and, you know, see if it all weighs out in the scale. That's not a biblical thing, but that's where my mind always runs with it. So how does that work out for you? Never good. Uh, never good. But it, so it was uh, a helpful kind of connection or, or distinction for me when I figured out that what James says in, in his book that, you know, faith without works is dead. 
um, is really the flip side of the coin of what Jesus says in, in John 15, I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever remains in me will bear much fruit. Mm-hmm. Right? True faith is going to produce these good works. And yet we are still sinners. Our eyes might not see good works as good works because they're mingled up with our own sinful motivations and terrible things. But it's beautiful to know that in Christ, even those even those broken acts that we do are, are, are seen as uh, good and are acceptable to the father. And so it's a, it's a beautiful gift to see that. One of the things that comes to mind uh, is the verse in Romans 14 that says part of a verse that says for whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. And, and ultimately, you know, everything pivots on whether you believe or not. And, and when you don't believe it's all sin for you because you not only remain in your sin as Ben was talking about, and you're going to be judged for what you've done, but then the things you continue to do in unbelief are all sin. Even if they seem to be good works, you could be donating to charities and you could be helping the poor serving at soup kitchens. But if you, but if you do not do that with faith in Christ, all of that is sin because it is from sinful motivations to please yourself or improve your standing or whatever. And all of it is ultimately sin in God's eyes. The flip side of this then is true that um, whatever proceeds from faith is righteousness. And, and when you are abiding in Christ, living in Christ, everything that you do as a saint is good. And, perfect and right and you do good works as a believer and that sometimes is hard to understand the the irony of it is for a believer is like mike is saying usually we the experience we actually have with this is that uh, we also realize we're not doing that much good or we, we realize our faults and we are humbled um, as a believer, so we don't always see it in ourselves, and that's probably good because we don't want it to become arrogance and then unbelief. But, um, but really, it is actually true that when we live in faith and abide in Christ, that we do good works, and everything we do is righteous, and that's a wonderful promise for us as well. But it's all because it's God at work in us. Like in Ephesians 2, it mentions that we were dead, but then God works in us and he gives us this great gift and that's faith and grace. And that then when he gives us faith and grace, then, you know, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which he prepared beforehand. So he made us for good works and he prepared the works and he does them through us. And so it's God's work through us and his righteousness at work in us. Um, And so it's a wonderful thing. And, And then we think, I think also Jesus talking about what he's going to say to people when he sees them at the end, you know, uh, either depart from me. I never knew you, or he's going to say to some, you know, or I guess I'm thinking, uh, more specifically of the part where he's talking about, um, you know, to the unbelievers, you didn't feed me. You didn't clothe me when I was naked or help me when I was sick. What, what's that passage? 
but then to others, he's going to welcome them in and say, uh, you know, you, you fed me, you clothed me, you took care of me. And they say, when did I do that? And he said, when you did it for the least of these, is that what it is? At least of these, my brother, these, the least yeah, of these, my uh, brothers. It's Matthew, Matthew 25. 25. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, I'm just going off the cuff with this, but uh, so the the interesting thing about that is that those are counted in the end. Those are considered good works in the end by Jesus, right? But they were done for other people on earth, but it was as if they were done for Jesus himself, but they were things done in faith and in the love of Christ for other people. And ultimately it was serving Christ and they were considered righteous. And again, that's a fruit of faith. That's something God does in you and through you by his grace. But they are truly good works when they're done in faith. It's a wonderful thing. Um, and of course, it's all confusing or mysterious to us because as Christians, we have this dual nature, both sinner and saint. And so we both at the same time are living in faith and in doing righteous deeds and yet struggling with sin and weakness and um and living by god's mercy each day but um in the end uh, i think going back to what natal said at the beginning that we got to remember that we can know for sure how our sins will be counted the kind of recompense we'll get if we are trusting in christ we will be looked at with christ's righteousness and we will be accepted and and we will be paid with eternal life. And, uh, and if we don't believe, we will be counted uh, based on our own works and we will be punished for it. So 60 some odd episodes into Revelation, I just realized why it's taken us so long. Unplanned detours over single words that take a half hour. But I think that this might be the heart of everything we talk about today, don't you yeah. think? This is this verse was the one on my mind that we I think we really needed to hit a home run on, um, and and make sure that we we explained this because it's it's powerful and it's a little scary too when you think about it. Oh yeah, yeah. Apart from Christ, this is one of the most terrifying verses in all of Scripture. Yeah. And in Christ, it becomes one of the most beautiful and comforting. Right. It's all, it's all about where yeah. you sit in, in relation to Christ. It's kind of like the sun, right? The sun is great and it warms the earth and it makes everything grow. But if you are too close to it, you burn and too far away, you freeze. So it's all yep. about being in that right relationship with the sun. Yep. All right. Any other thoughts on, on 12 or recompense before we... Uh, move on to verse 13 and here's some phrases again that we've heard very many times throughout the book of revelation let's do it all right i am the alpha and the omega the first and the last the beginning and the end all right so we've got jesus talking because he's the one that's coming soon right We're like we heard in okay verse 12. hold on oh. here's my question here's my question about this i am the alpha and the omega and then he says the first and the last the beginning and the end but alpha and omega only goes from A to O in the in the alphabet. So therefore, he's only half of? Well, no, it just means that he's in, in the beginning and in the middle and at the end. Oh. <laughs> the look on Ben's face is priceless. <laughs> 
I think if we were actually sitting with Ben, he would have slapped the both of us. I think so. <laughs> Just hauled off and slapped. I think so. No, but I, I think, you know, one of the things that might get overlooked is maybe some of our uh, listeners don't know the Greek alphabet that goes from alpha to omega, which would be A to Z for our Canadian listeners. All right. <laughs> So it is the entirety of the alphabet right there. It's not from A to O like some people might be thinking it is. It's not halfway through the alphabet. It's the whole way through. So when he says beginning and the end, it's like repeating and hammering home this point once again. Yep. And not surprisingly, it it gets repeated three times. You know, you expect a three or a seven there or a ten. Why not? Give us the divine Trinity and unity, baby. Unity and Trinity. Yeah. We should come up with a handshake for that. I don't know. Hmm. That'd be pretty neat. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Is there, I mean, I know we've hit this talking about Jesus being the beginning and the end, the first and the last many, many times throughout Revelation. Is there anything else you guys want to add to it? Um, just point out again, and and I, some of our listeners would know this probably, but um he says, I am at the beginning of this ego, Amy in Greek. It's an unusual construction, sort of redundant in a way. And, and uh, it's like going out of the way to emphasize I am, which is Jesus way of invoking the name Yahweh from the old Testament or Jehovah as some say it. Um, and it's the personal name of God, our Savior, the Lord, as it's usually written in the Bible, the Lord. Um, and so Jesus is speaking here and he is claiming the name of God as he does a number of times uh, as quoted in the Gospels. And, uh, and so I am, and then this repeating for Alpha and Omega, first and last, beginning and end. Um, just like he said, I am the good shepherd. I am the door. I am the way, the truth, and the life, um, and all of those things. So pretty powerful statement. It helps us identify that this is Jesus speaking because it's something he, he says. We also know that it is Jesus bringing the recompense. Um, Daniel prophesied about that, that it would be the son of man who would come on the clouds, who would be given the authority to judge in the end. And we see that in a number of places uh, elsewhere too. And so these are words of Jesus. Oh, Do a survey here. Uh, so in Lou Brighton's commentary on Revelation, um, he sees some distinctions between the the titles that they're not uh, exactly equivalent and it's just interesting so um first he one of the things he notes that second title the first and the last is only applied to jesus whereas uh the alpha and the omega the beginning and the end is applied both to god the father and to uh christ the son um so he suggests then that Again, as was mentioned, the Alpha and the Omega, the first and last letter of the Greek alphabet, um, kind of presents, you know, God as, you know, all-encompassing. So he's far and, and uh, far and away above uh, all creation. 
you know, he is no way saying he is transcendent. He's not part of creation. He stands outside of it and he rules over all creation. Um, and the beginning and, and the end is a similar idea. Brighton suggests that, that this title brings into view uh, new creation as well um, in the sense of, you know, the, you know, behold, I make all things new, that kind of a statement. Um, and then he suggests that the first and the last is only applied to Jesus because only Christ, Christ is the only member of the Godhead who died and rose again from the dead. And so he suggests that the first and the last, that you know, he's the first and the last of all who die in him, this is quoting from Brighton, and together with him and are raised with him spiritually already now and will be raised physically and bodily in the resurrection at the end. He is the originating source or author and the perfecter or finisher of their faith. And he references Hebrews 12, 2. So, um, so it's just kind of a, a, an interesting thing as he's looking at it here, the first two titles, you know, Christ shares with the father. And again, as we've talked about it, it shows forth the you know, Christ's divinity uh, as well. But that second title, the first and the last, um, according to Brighton, um, I think he makes a good case for it. It's only applied to Jesus because the second person of the Holy Trinity is the only one who took on human flesh uh, and came down to, to earth to live as a human being uh, in our place and to die and rise again. And so there is a uniqueness to the, to the second person of the, of the Holy Trinity, because he is the only one who has taken into himself a human nature. So just kind of a, so that was interesting. Brighton saw some, some nuanced differences between those three titles, but yeah. And maybe I just confused everyone who was listening, but. <laughs> no, I think it was good stuff. I mean, he's called the firstborn from the dead, the first fruits. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah those who will be raised, right? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. All right. Well, let's let's continue on. Verse fourteen. We get our final beatitude. Final, blessed are those in the book of Revelation. That is number seven. Uh, so blessed are those who wash their robes. And this is actually a kind of a shortened version of something that's come up in Revelation already. Uh, you think of Revelation chapter 7, we have uh, those saints who have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. And, and clothed in white robes has been a theme for us throughout Revelation as well. Talking about those that, that have been forgiven, that have been washed in Christ's blood, that are declared to be righteous, declared to be saints, right? So the blessing that comes to them is they have the right to the tree of life and they may enter the city by the gates. Um, both of these concepts are, are things that we've had come up for us a few times earlier in this chapter. We talked about the tree or maybe the grove of, of life as, as Ben pointed out. And mm -hmm. we spent a lot of time talking about the holy city, the heavenly city. Um, but we who are saints are, are blessed. We who are redeemed are blessed because we have access to those things in eternity with our God in paradise. Yeah. I think it's, again, just interesting because I don't, I don't know that we often think about this. Um, but the picture that we're given is not, 
um, kind of out of sight, out of mind when it comes to those who suffer the wrath and the judgment of God. I mean, the, the imagery in the prophecy that John gives is, you know, the righteous, the ones who have been washed um, in the blood of Christ, they enter by, by the gates, right? So they are, they're not, you know, you're not sneaking in or getting in a different way. Right. But you're, the, the imagery is that you're in the city, right? But outside, that's where all the wretched people are, right? The, the unbelievers and so on. So I would just say I haven't looked at what at Brighton's comment on, on that. Um, if, if John is here receiving a vision of kind of the, the final state of, of things or if it's a picture of the present reality, um and looking ahead but anyhow um it it does fit with other passages there's, a, there's another passage in revelation that speaks of you know the torment of the of the unrighteous and the unbelievers that that will it's in the midst of the lamb and of the saints um and isaiah talks about you know the righteous going out and looking upon those who are accursed of God, whose worm will not die. And so on. That's the very end of Isaiah. So it's just, it's an interesting image. It's not really a a picture of, and I guess we have, we have two, we can, we can think about, uh, you know, the rich man and Lazarus, you know, the rich man wasn't completely cut off from, it wasn't like out of sight, out of mind uh, either. So it's just, it's just kind of that, that interesting imagery like i think sometimes we think of it as uh those who suffer the wrath of god will you know are just kind of out of sight out of mind and that's not really the picture that we're given and part of me wonders i just wonder if some of the the torment of eternal judgment is kind of similar to the to the rich man in a sense where the unrighteous can this is just speculation on my part, but just that they can see all of the the goodness and the blessing and all of the great things kind of from a from a distance, from the outside, you know, that that the righteous enjoy. Well, they have none of it, and all they have is God's wrath and judgment, and you know, that imagery of the fire that never dies and the and the worm that you know you think of you know, worms eating uh, corpses, but the worm will never die. So like a continual suffering kind of thing, right? I mean, that's, scripture is very clear that that's an ongoing thing, but sometimes, again, it's just speculation on my part, but I wonder if some of that judgment is, you know, seeing the goodness of what what you could have had, (laughs) right? But that you rejected. And so, I don't know. That was just, speculation on my part i don't i didn't look at what uh Ryan or anyone else says about that if they if they have thoughts along that line too but that was was just some of my my speculation it's just interesting imagery that they're both the righteous and the unrighteous are put you know seemingly at least in the proxy like in close proximity to each other as a as a I'm glad you brought up the worm constantly eating and never dying thing. Cause now I don't think I'm going to be able to eat lunch. 
<laughs> I mean, you could probably just eat the worm if you want. No, nope. it's like a tapeworm or something. Uh, it certainly would help me lose a little bit of weight if I ate a tapeworm. <laughs> eternal parasite. Oh man! All but right, you so- know the imagery of. Um, you know, 15, where it says outside are the dogs, and then it goes on to list these sinners, the different types of sinners. That's uh, similar to the rich man and Lazarus story. Um, I was just talking to my confirmation students about this last night, um, that that account. And the interesting thing about that is at the beginning, the rich man is eating at his table all this rich food and uh, and he's so blessed. And then Lazarus is by the gate being licked by the dogs and then they both die and they switch places. And Lazarus is now reclining at the table against Abraham's bosom in paradise. And they're, they're eating a meal at the table together. And now the rich man is outside the gates on the other side of the chasm suffering and just wanting a drop placed on his tongue. And, you know, my understanding that that is that that is the, um, you know, that's the place before the physical resurrection and the, and the eternal resting place. And who knows how many of those types of things might also apply to the eternal resting place. But, um, you know, of the lake of fire and of the new creation and all of that. But certainly for that, that rich man, it was tormenting to be desiring, you know, a a drop of water to quench his thirst and to look across and to see Lazarus feasting there. Can I just have a drip of that? (laughs) Right. Probably like Lazarus was looking in across the gates to the feasts happening in that rich man's home. Could I'm so hungry. Could I just have a little bit, (laughs) you know, uh, it's torture. Yeah. And we can just say to you, like, don't your mind will probably shut down if you try to fathom this in this age, but don't try. I mean, you can, if you want, but I would not suggest trying to imagine how, you know, because we often have the question, how could it, you know, how could it be, you know, that, that there would be no sadness or tears or anything in the new heavens and the new earth um, with those who, you know, have rejected Christ and, and end up in, in hell for eternity. Um, trying to, to imagine that will probably make your brain hurt and shut down. So I don't really recommend trying to do that. I just understand that we will understand earth. Uh, things differently in the resurrection um we don't we don't have a grasp on the justice of of god and his ways there's much about uh you know his ways that are that he has not revealed to us uh we are very limited in what we can understand and we are also impacted by sin so we do not have a perfect understanding of god's justice and it's not to say that we will all of a sudden just know everything in the new heavens and new earth god will always be greater than we could possibly know 
but we will not have the clouding of sin and we will understand God's justice and goodness without the damage of sin. So, so this is something that, that we, we accept, uh, by faith. This is what God has said. This is, you know, and God is good and God is perfectly just. And so though it might seem like, oh, how could we possibly be without sadness, you know, knowing all of these people that aren't, uh, you know, in the holy city. Um, we just have to recognize our limits. <laughs> um, and, you know, and maybe let that, I don't know, maybe let those thoughts kind of fuel evangelism in a sense, like, you know, preach the gospel of people and such, but, but we had, we just had to recognize our, our limits uh, in understanding these things and bow the, the knee before God in his greater and unsearchable ways and trust that mm-hmm. what he says is right. What he says is true um, that he, that he acts in perfect righteousness and justice and holiness. And so it's just one of those things like we really shouldn't try to <laughs> probe too much into that. Um, Cause we run really hard up against our limits pretty quickly. So, and it's, it's right for a Christian. It's good for a Christian. If they have compassion on these people like grandma or grandpa or mom or dad or brother, sister, cousin, neighbor, or friend, that uh, we don't want them to be called a dog, a sorcerer, a sexually immoral murderer, idolater, whatever, and be on the other side of that gate and going to be suffering forever. It's good and right for us to be concerned about that. And God actually says the exact same thing. He doesn't desire that. And, and it should, it should, uh, break our heart at the thought of these people being cast away when they could have been welcomed in as a friend, as a brother, as a sister and, and brought into the family and blessed. I mean, the most heartbreaking thing you can ever go to is the funeral of an unbeliever that you knew died hating God and rejecting his grace and mercy. It's so absolutely hopeless and sickening and we shouldn't wait until it's too late to do something about it. Um, in the end, somehow, I think God's going to show us the justice of it all and give us peace in our minds so that we're not tormented by the thought. I don't know how that's going to work, like Ben's saying. But, but in the meantime, now is the time to be concerned about it and then to go out and do something about it by sharing the gospel and loving these people so that they can come with us and escape the fires of hell. I thought we already established though, that the, the dogs part was actually just talking about canines. Like they're just not allowed into heaven. Oh yeah. How dare you? (laughs) (laughs) That's, that's the one maybe weird phrase in verse 15 that, that we should unpack a little bit. Like sorcerers, sexually immoral murderers, idolaters, those that love and practice falsehood. We get that those are, are bad things. Um, but a lot of us love dogs, right? Yeah. So what, what's that? It was that a very word? different culture. Yeah. yeah. Un- unpack yeah. how that word's being used so we can so, understand it properly. 
in Philippians 3, 2, for instance, it says, look out for the dogs, look out for the evildoers, look out for those who mutilate the flesh. And the picture is like packs of wild, not not pet dogs, wild dogs that go around pestering, attacking people, eating dead things, mutilating flesh. Um, they're, they're pests. Like you could think more like hyenas or coyotes or something like that um not uh your grandma's toy lap dog you know or something uh they're they're not cute little pets that's not the picture here and i think there were some that had pets like that but that wasn't always common yeah dogs were were generally seen as unclean and probably because they're scavenging around, like Matt was saying, eating, you know, dead things and whatnot. And so they would be, <clears throat> they would not be a clean animal uh, in that, in that sense. Um, so yeah, you could think like mangy strays and whatnot too. So just, but just would just understand that they didn't have the same mindset as, as us. They're not like, Oh, cute little doggy, let's have a pet, you know, like that. It just no, wasn't no, the same. They mind. weren't, thought of in the same way so um so yeah that imagery of it was an insult to be called a doc so it'd be you know when unclean I, very mangy I, unwanted i think we still get that like if you get called a dog um that's depending on the tone of how it's said we still understand that that's an insult yeah. what's up dog i mean that's not the tone i'm talking about <laughs> yo where are my dogs at so yeah all right <laughs> we'll just move on <laughs> uh let's hit let's hit verse 16 if we can i know we're kind of short on time so we probably Do you guys know that there's a famous rapper and he actually has dog in his, his name is it sheepdog sheepdog you got it and he actually spells it a few times too except for he spells it d-o-double-g Oh, yeah, yeah. Sheep, doggy, dog. Sheep, doggy, dog. <laughs> That's got to be one of my favorite detours we've had so far. Uh, that others have the heard dogs about. Out. I, I mean, my favorite is definitely Thyatira Banks, but hundred <laughs> percent. Yeah. 100%. Uh, Speaking I'm... of which, that was supposed to go on the podcast episode that you and I were on, Mike. It Before, got edited yep. out. I know. And I, know. I would like to point out that my wife does the editing. Thank you, Lindsay. <laughs> all right, ver verse 16. I don't expect us to get all the way through this because we've got some Old Testament connections that I think are pretty cool here. Um, but we'll, we'll do a valiant effort if we can. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. Again, we don't know what angel this is. It's an angel. He's faithful. That's awesome. We love angels. They're great. If you need a name, probably Uriel. I'm, I'm not sure. All right. But uh, Jesus says then, I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright and morning star. I bet you guys can make a connection with each one of those titles that Jesus uh, claims for himself to somewhere in the that Old Testament. So fascinating, though, that he is both David's root and his descendant, isn't that awesome? Like it's the same, like just like in the Gospels, like when Jesus is talking about, you know, um, 
Psalm 110 and, you know, the, I forget if it's the Pharisees or the Sadducees who are trying to trap him, you know, and they talk about how the, you know, Messiah is supposed to be David's son. And Jesus is like, yeah, but David calls him Lord in the Psalms. So, you know, how can he be both David's Lord and his son? You know, he's, you know, as they're trying to trap him. So it's just, it's one of those fascinating things, you know, where, you just feel like, what? How can you be both the source and the descendant? <laughs> like, you know, and so it's just, it's the, it's just kind of one of those neat things of the mystery of God that just, you know, points us again to, you know, the second person of the Holy Trinity, right? Christ has always been eternal God, but in time, he took on human flesh and was born of of David's line. So he is both, you know, David's source and his son, his descendant. And so it's just kind of a, a cool thing, you know, like the same way that, you know, the very womb which bore him, he created, right? It's just, wow, that's cool. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> and of course, the descendant of David is just as promised the messiah would come a descendant of david who would sit on the throne for eternity and rule righteously and that's jesus and yeah so this the, is the second samuel seven right yep. mm-hmm. well it's one of the places the you know how yeah god tells david yeah david wants to build god a house right he wants to build the temple and you know he's He's not permitted to build the physical temple, but but God sends, is it Nathan? Yeah. Sends Nathan to David and God says, well, I'm going to build you a house, right? Um, so he says, oh, let's see. Let's go. Moreover, the Lord declares. Sending you positive vibes, Ben. Find that that the Lord will make you a house. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. So, one, singular, his kingdom, right? He's not just talking about generically descendants of David, but one in particular, he shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Right. And then, yeah, he says later, and your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me, your throne shall be established forever. And so we have the beginnings there, like, you know, this is your Messiah. He will come from David's line and his, kingdom and his throne will last forever but then they had a problem right did something happen when i wasn't looking mike was I, dancing to yeah i was dancing to you on. <laughs> oh. he, was, he was listening to a little okay. bit of sheep dog and then okay. i was just wondering uh, do you think it's a shark throne like in the last passage maybe. The great white yeah maybe okay. um so so but then we have a problem right because you have exile into Babylon and it's like, oh no, 
what happened to David's line, right? And so, you know, you have Isaiah, you know, giving the, was it like Isaiah 11 or so on? It talks about, you know, the, the root from the stump of Jesse will, <clears throat> you know, the branch will grow, you know, like David's house looks like it's just a dead stump in the ground. And yet here comes the shoot, right? And, and Ezekiel will expand on, on this too with, you know, um, was it 34? I think it is where, you know, God is judging the, the shepherds of Israel and he says he's going to send his singular shepherd, David's son, basically, or, or he names him David, David, my servant, even though David's been dead for how many, you know, centuries, right? Um, and he will shepherd, you know, my people, right? And and all of this is, you know, is, is building and building and, and building. And, you know, Jesus comes on the, on the scene. And he's like, oh, yeah, I'm the... I'm the good shepherd. I'm the shepherd who goes after the sheep, right? I'm the descendant of David, right? Um, you know, I am the Christ. And he shows himself to be, you know, the one who was promised all the way back to, you know, in, in this particular case to, to King David, you know, back in 2 Samuel 7. And that promise is kept by God all the way through, even in the midst of, of exile into Babylon and seeming utter defeat because who comes back from Babylon? Well, we have um, Zerubbabel, right? Who is a descendant of David, right? And we find that David's line continues all the way to Mary and Joseph. Both are of the house of David, right? Um, Joseph from the, the line of Kings, from David's house, Mary, um, physical descendant of David. And so then Jesus takes on human flesh by the power of the Holy Spirit, the womb of the Virgin Mary. He is born descendant of David according to the flesh, right? And so it's all, you know, this is this is the Christ. This is the one that God has promised. This is the one with the eternal kingdom and the eternal throne. And this is the one who uh, God sent to save his his people and bring them safely to the eternal city. This is the one who died and who has risen again. And so it's kind of a cool thing. Now it's time for the mic drop, Ben. I don't want to drop my mic. Oh, okay. Well, it would have been very dramatic and a great way to bring us to a close today. <laughs> so since you're not going to drop the mic, I guess I'll just go to the Lord and pray. <laughs> Let's pray. Father God, thanks for today. Thank you for this time spent in Revelation. And thank you for uh, those blessed detours when we spend a half an hour talking about a word or a phrase because it's significant. But thank you for Christ. Thank you that he is both the root and the descendant of David. Thank you that he lived, suffered, died, and rose again. That we might have forgiveness, redemption, that we might be made into your saints and have the promise of life eternal with you. Lord, strengthen our faith, we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks, guys. Thank you.